0: So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is...
1: Ian Joseph. As always you can find us on social media. Yep, so if you go on to Twitter, you know, if you simply type in at Folk on Falcons, uh, you'll see our new fancy logo. And again, for Facebook, simply type in Falcon Falcons and you'll see the same new fancy logo.
0: So this week we'll talk about another defeat. This week it was against
1: Bristol. Um, We will
0: also review England's defeat. (laughs) We'll talk about Six Nations a bit in general. A couple of other rugby matters, depending on how long we uh, are miserable for and whether we can bear stringing out any longer. So um, let's launch straight into it. The first minute of the match was okay, and Then we did a box kick to them and then they kicked it to us. We got a line out kicked it back to them, and then they scored from within their own half and then kind of summed up the afternoon. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was over after about 20 minutes, wasn't it? And they got the bonus point in about what about 26 minutes too. But I mean, that first try, easy as you like, a simple step, completely flummoxed out defence with a simple step, and then as easy as you like, two on one, offload, under the post. And then it was just, it was just one way for that point, wasn't it? It was just you know, compounded by more mistakes and... You know, we've mentioned it before. So, sort of what's happened to the defence? I think there were, you know, there's a couple of sort of individual moments of brilliance. Um, Lordy Clemente's try was really good. Radwan was really good for Earls' try. Um, good breakdown the right for that. Forwards again didn't do themselves uh, do themselves any harm with the pelvic try. I mean, that just kind of just goes to show, you know, if we do get down there, what our pack can do, even against obviously a very good Bristol team, especially good performing at the moment Bristol team. But you know, we had again. We had opportunities. Like we were down when they were down to 13 men, didn't take advantage of it. In fact, they scored points. There were times we were down there where we just lost the ball, or, or, you know, discipline cost us. And it's it's just the sort of same same story. I mean, pieces perhaps arranged slightly differently this week, but the same broken pieces, unfortunately.
0: You mentioned that it was over in the first 20 minutes. I did a bit of boring research, or well, not research? I um, watched the match back again on the Premiership Rugby website, and within the first 10 minutes, they are in our half for less than 20 seconds. That's ball in hand. And within that 20 seconds, I managed to get 14 points. And then within the first 20 minutes, it was about two minutes they were in our half. And all the tries, although they weren't carbon copies, it was all the same as has been going on all season, just getting cut to bits out wide. And someone's streaking 40 yards down the touchline, pass it inside or pass it outside, and someone darting into the corner. And something's got to change. But we've been worked out. Teams know what how to score against us, and we're just every week conceding the same tries again and again and again. And this week, if you look at the possession stats and things, we're right in the game territory-wise. We're pretty good in the first half and most the second, but it's just that when we have the ball, we make such hard work of it, and then poof it away. And then as soon as they get the ball, there's just no defence out wide, and they run it in from halfway.
1: Yeah, I mean, like like touched on before, um, things were things perhaps were a little bit better in the territory states. But when we did show ball in hand, at times we looked reasonable. Again, when we let our forwards have a bit of a go, at times we looked decent. But it was the resorting to the box kicking, wasn't it? You know, once we resorted to that, it was just, you know, meat and drink for a team like Bristol. And credit to them. I mean, some of their play was what we kind of saw last year in their prime. I mean, really sort of brilliant stuff, really dynamic, fast paced, cut us to ribbons. Uh, I mean, sometimes you do have to hold your hand up and say, well, some of those tries were brilliant, some of the play from Bristol was brilliant, that's what they can do. But, you know, it's, it's the same as every week where we don't kind of help ourselves. Sometimes teams do do bits of individual brilliance, but generally teams don't have to work that hard against us. Like, The the stats you kind of said there about how even though we had all the territory, all possession, they were barely in half. They score fairly easy tries, Um, and that's kind of one of the sort of sob stories at the moment with us. In that we make it so easy for teams. It's all very well, you know, trying at one end, but if we just can see points so easily, we're so easy to play against. This is going to happen week in week out, and that's kind of what we're seeing at the moment.
0: Unfortunately, Sam Stewart went off after about twenty minutes or so with a. A leg or ankle injury, but um, it gave Nordy Calametti the chance to come on, and he did so. And he actually played very well when he was on the pitch. It looked like it looked like he was a spark who was trying his hardest not to be extinguished by tactics. And him and Hayden Wood, as we called for in previous weeks, actually, the time they were on the pitch, we I don't think we lost if you look at the 60 minutes on the pitch, I think we won it, that hour of the match. Um Obviously, it's a very stupid thing to say because Bristol kind of stopped trying mid-second half and they'd obviously won it. But naturally, he's a scrum half that gets the ball out a bit quicker until he remembers he's got to play the boring old box kick tactics. Hayden Wood, um, I thought actually looked like quite a competent fly half for large parts of the game. A couple of uh, things that he have probably put down to inexperience, but he's only going to not have them put down to an experience once he gets experience or we'll let him off. But Nordic Honnêt's try was quite nice. The way he, from nothing he didn't just hoof the ball away, just, like wasn't stick up your jumper, he found a gap, wriggled through it and scampered away and then put in a, a, a kick which um, was actually quite well weighted, but um much better weighted than some of the other ones. Uh in the afternoon, but um, that was a, I'd say a silver lining. I thought that the pack in general were quite good. Well at the end of the first half, when we got the penalty try, we got them down to 13 men, and that was really a thought, right, come back out after half time, you've got 15 men against 13 for the best part of 10 minutes. This is really our chance to get back in this game. What, what do we do? We do a deep kickoff, we don't challenge for it, and then we kick the ball back to them uh, when we'd got it from a following line out, and then before you know it, they're scoring with 13 men against 15. You just think, well. How gilded a chance do you want?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when they're down to 13, you sort of thought they could get back into this. I mean, it's going to be a long shot, but we're going to get a better opportunity. And sometimes Bristol can be a bit flaky, you know, um, if the heads go down a bit. But I just don't have the ability or nounce, I think, or confidence maybe to take advantage of those situations. As As you say, the tactics, kicking the ball away, just the way we're playing, we can't, I don't know, just make that danger, you would have thought that if we could work on like Radwine into a bit of space against 13 men, or even keep it and put into the jumper, and let the pack deal with it, you know, the numbers will eventually tell. But again, it's just not sort of creating those opportunities in order to kind of take advantage of that, even when you have the possession of territory, either it's been kicked away or it just doesn't look good enough when we do have the ball in hand, even against 13 men, which of course is, you know, is, is worrying. And we just, I don't know, I just felt like even when it was down to 13 men, they just didn't look like they were going to claw it back. I mean, that was the chance, wasn't it? That was that really was the guilt-edged chance. And they just, for the various reasons, just couldn't take it. Well, it's
0: interesting that Bristol didn't kick the ball to us once when they had 13 men because they used their brains. And I thought Mike Brown's um yellow card... Shortly after half time was one of those ones where I see why it was given, but I think it was probably a bit of the referee trying to even up the numbers a bit. He'd just given two to Bristol, we thought he'd give one to us, but we saw the man advantage for another six or seven minutes, and we didn't really do anything with it. And uh, it just something needs to change. I'm not sure what it is. Um, at the start of the year, we had roughly the same fifteen, give or take a few names, but I think that if that energy, the intensity, the desire to win from the start of the year was there. I just think think when I watched the matches at the minute that they've got into the habit of losing. And when someone does one of these aimless kicks, at the start of the year it was an aimless kick, but you actually have people tearing through and chasing it. Now you get people who are not really that bothered trotting up the middle of the pitch. There's huge gaps because everyone's just kind of waddling up at their own speed. And it seems like there's just a... either There's something going on where the players can't really be bothered to play, or they've just got in the habit of losing. And, oh, we just can't see another try. Oh, just gone back into the 40 yards, that's oh, just what happens. Whereas at the start of the year, we had players actually going for it. And um, Yeah, you can talk about defensive structure and the rest of it, but if players on your inside work, you can drift across and cut out space out wide. But if players on the inside don't work, you can't drift across. And that's not going to s- solve the problem overnight, but I just feel that the desire to win isn't necessarily there from all the players on the pitch.
1: Well, I mean, you know, you know, as much as anyone from either playing sport or watching professional sport for years and years, it can always be quite difficult to kind of get out of the losing run, both, you know, from physical, mental mind, well, mental mindset, but physically as well sometimes. You just don't find that extra few percent because, you you know, it, it does eventually toll on you, and I guess more, more so in professional sport. And no doubt we're going to be seeing part of that at the moment with, with the Falcons, but I think mean, it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week, where when we were doing better at the start of the season, we had two really sort of strong pillars which kind of held everything up. One was, A fantastic defense, easily one of the best in the league. That's now crumbled, that's completely gone. And our forwards, when we were in the 20 in opposition 22 with our forwards, we looked really dangerous, as dangerous as anyone, especially from set pieces. Again, that's been that's not gone in the sense of it's still there if the opportunity presents itself. But the way we're playing, those opportunities are not presenting themselves, so it's been nullified. So, those two pillars, which really kind of Things up at the start of the season, we've sort of been nullified and have gone now. And what they need to do is get those back. You've got to sort the defense out. That's absolutely basic. Sort the defense out. We obviously stop leaking so many you know 30 or 40 of points every week. Sort that out. And then we can try and work on things from there. But if that doesn't stop, because we know we haven't got the ability, we've always known we haven't got the ability to score lots of points. So if we don't have a good defense, we've got no hope. But that sh- I, don't, well, I don't say easy fix, it's hard to kind of find the word, but it should be an achievable fix because we've done it before we did last season we've done it this season to, to get that defence right again. The coaches must have been on to something. Whatever whatever reason that's gone now, I don't know, but that that's what needs to be addressed. I think that's the absolute core point. Get the defence sorted and then we can kind of claw our way back really. But until that gets done, I don't know, it's going to be just the same every week, isn't it?
0: Um, I can't say I was expecting a victory after Richard's comments the prior week, saying we always lose in January and February. But um, did you have anything a bit more productive to say this week after the defeat? Because I think the f- defeat wasn't quite as bad as the previous two, although it still wasn't
1: great. Um, I think it was more sort of stating the obvious, really, uh, for the majority of it, rather than sort of making perhaps any arguably slightly disheartening comments. Uh, yeah, as I say, it was more kind of obvious stuff, like saying that we we're chasing the game early on. Obviously, um, had opportunities to seal the win. Had possession and territory. Had uh, opportunity to get bonus points, which they didn't take. Again, well, you know, as we know, that everyone who watched it or saw the score would probably, or at least watch a Twitter feed, um, would get an idea onto that. <sighs> Talking about also how. Committed to playing some of the younger Academy players. And he, he does mention the contributions of Ainwood and Nordie Clemetti obviously were very good. And then of course we've got a bye week coming up. So he was talking about how a break for the players. And then we obviously have two huge home games coming up. Bath in particular. I mean, if there's ever gonna be a chance coming up in the next couple of months to get oh, win, that, that's going to be it. So they've got to be targeting that. Um, but that was it, really. It was all pretty sort of obvious stuff, which you were sort of expect expecting to rattle out, really. Yeah, so I have to say, with,
0: with this weekend, I was kind of, I wasn't expecting to get much from the Bristol game. We didn't, but what the game I was expecting to get something from was up in Mauritius I thought, right, this is our chance to really show what England can do. And then I saw what I can only call a, a strange team sheet. And then on the pitch it kind of didn't really go according to plan.
1: Well, straight away, the team was announced. You had, you know, I think it was Daly and Marchant in particular, where I think mean, valid questions were raised. But you could tell from the first minute, and it was slow, ponderous. They weren't going anywhere. Yes, I had all the ball, all the territory. But you, you just know, especially the way Scott play at the moment is you don't really kind of get this in rugby, but it's obviously more of a football term. but score on the break, if I can call it like that. Scotland are very much a team that are good at soaking up pressure and have really good individual players who, you know, I think are head and shoulders above a vast majority of their team, such as Russell and Hogg, who out of nowhere can just win games single-handedly. You know, we bashed away at them, had all-time shoulder possession, but never looked like scoring. Never. I think the only time we looked like scoring try was actually when we did, which was Marcus Smith's walk-in. Um, and I think the right was on the wall there. And, of course, they got their first try against the run of play, but well-worked try, you know, it's from our our error, really. And I don't know, for, for me, that I, I didn't think we were definitely going to lose it from there, but it kind of settled into, like, the nightmare pattern I thought it was going to be. Like, if I had a worst-case scenario, i.e. maybe like it was last season, and my worst case scenario was, oh, it be a repeat of that. This was kind of, that that's what seemed to be unfolding. And yeah, it, it's its what we talked about. You could just sort of copy and paste it from our podcast and the, the last game against Scotland, where failure, I think, of player selection, tactics, and just an air discipline, isn't it? With one incident, particularly with Karen Dickey, it just sums it up and it sums it up at the moment. And, it's just as it, it's only been one game, but it's just seems a continuation of last year's disaster, really.
0: The, the thing that really annoyed me was playing Elliot Daly at 13. Um, I've not been Elliot Daly's biggest fan for a long time, but that tends to only plays at fullback. And why on earth he played at 13 when I think most people in the country could say Marchant's probably a better 13 than Daly, and then there's plenty of better wingers than March. I just don't know why he's done it. Has, has Daly got some compromising material on Eddie Jones? Why can't he drop him? And then having Youngs at Scrum Half when we've got Randall on the bench, it's just the wrong way around for the future. And if you get 60 minutes in and you you don't take off Smith, who's probably the best fly half that we've had in the last 5, 10 years in England, and then replace him with Ford, who's monotony 0-1. You take off your Scrum Half, who takes half an hour to get the ball out of any ruck and probably passes it too high or too low, and put on Randall, who's a a fast, fast ball sort of player, drinking through the gaps, and really put the team on the back foot to change... To change the fly half and he's chasing a game for no reason other than presumably a premeditated decision. It was just so strange.
1: Yeah, you, you it's you know we've talked all the tactics and what Jones is trying to do. It sort of worked, didn't it? In the autumn internationals way, you're these sort of funny players out of position because I don't know. I think the idea was when in attack if you had these particular players in those particular positions in the attack it would cause serious problems because they would be able to put their qualities in a position they wouldn't normally be and that would wrong for defences or whatever but you know i don't think it's particularly convincing i know they'll see the beats just about beat south africa and they a couple these performances in in the automation nationals but i've you know you have a gut feeling don't you when you've watched enough games You've watched enough England teams over the years. You've watched these players often week in, week out. You have a gut feeling, don't you, when you see the team's election. And it just felt wrong. You know, you're not playing an essentially glorified friendly. You're playing away to Scotland, your biggest rivals, a must-win game, not only for the tournament, but because it's Scotland. You know, we already lost them last year. um, Absolutely must-win game. You don't play players out of position. I'm sorry. And you don't take that risk. You you play your best players in the best positions. And it didn't work. You could tell straight away it didn't work. We, It just didn't look dynamic enough. It looked error-strewn. You, you could tell players were out of positions. And you could just and you could just tell that we were going to get exposed in areas. And that was when I fought with well, Scotland when, when they had ball in hand. They made ground. They looked really dangerous often when they had ball in hand in a way that we didn't. And when you did have players out of position, you make yourself vulnerable to another really potent weapon in Scotland's attack, which is the cross field kick, which they crucified us last year with and that essentially won it for them this year as well yeah you, you mentioned
0: the way we attack it
1: seems that the um
0: in the you know the yellow books here at christmas something for dummies and in rugby coaching for dummies the the page one must be all about kicking the ball to the opposition when you're about to score tries because falcons have been guilty of it quite a bit this year um whenever we got within scotland or vaguely near the 22 what what do we try and do we just try to kick it through or do a chip or a grubber kick or something and Suddenly, you've given the ball back to the opposition and you haven't scored a try. When there were times we'd have a three on two or a four on two in certain certain instances, and you'd have, I think Cowan Dickey did a grubber kick at one point when we had an overlap. It's like, what on earth are these players doing? Who's telling them to do it and who's not telling them not to do it? It's, it's basic stuff. You're taught at under eights level get the ball, pass it along the line, score in the corner. Not, you're in there 22 with an overlap, oh, I know, let's kick it behind them. Because They'd already turned their backs and we're running oh, oh, I'm just sick of it who, who thinks that yeah, well, I mean, kicking a, kicking the ball to the opposition is a way to score a try it just doesn't work
1: well you can't you know you can't score tries if you don't have the ball in your hands can you it's um yeah and it was just you would have thought that with all the with all the possession if they hadn't kicked it away eventually the pressure will tell whether we would score a try or whether we would work a penalty opportunity you know eventually we would get points but yeah it's just by kicking it away you know we're not going to get points by kicking it away we're not you know they often try and do it for territorial games and we see it all the time with the Falcons as well and they do a bit of kicking tennis and we lose out every time when we do it or very or the very best situation is we just end back you end back to where we started from and we're chasing the game you know we don't have the time to do this um it's just sort of basic tactics now You know, yes, you know, we're just fans looking from the outside. But again, I talk about sort of gut feeling. You know, when you've been watching the sport for decades and you've you've watched goodness knows how many good teams over the years. And, you know, I I refuse to believe rugby has changed so much in the past few years that by keeping possession is going to be detrimental to you. It's it's just bizarre. And, I just, and it only seems to be England that are doing it. You don't see the other teams do it. Look look how well some of them are doing at the moment. I mean, do I think Scotland and the Six Nations? No, I don't. And actually, I thought generally, they large parts of the game are pretty pedestrian and weren't that great. But beat us. And they don't even need to play that well to beat us anymore. You know, back in the day, Scotland would have to be absolutely superb to beat us. Now you just have a half half-cock performance and... All right, just a bit of a close win at Merrifield. but you know we couldn't do that before. It was the First time in God, God knows what about thirty odd years or something, and it's just it's just absolute absolute pits for England. I just can't see you know, and we're considering that obviously the other teams still to come. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to not finish fifth again. Quite frankly, it might beat Wales, I guess. Beat Italy probably, but you know, if anything below second for England is absolutely disgraceful and I can't see how it's not going to be that this year
0: I think I'd settle for the, or I'd say we're probably when you look at Ireland and France at the minute we could probably say third would be alright but I'd still like to push them for second but um, the problem that is really getting at me is Eddie Jones' contracts until the next World Cup so that means that we've got another six nations after this and a World Cup to fail in before he probably gets offered another contract because God knows how many people are going to have to be paid off when he leaves he's got his whole entourage behind him you look at the uh England coaching box on the TV. There are about eight of them in there all with their tracksuits and computer screens. They're just the ones you can see. Whereas Townsend had two or three people in front of him. Why do you need all these people to coach such drivel? You just need one person to to stop bloody kicking it.
1: Well, I think that's a worry, the fact that it's still sort of there for the World Cup. But so Clive Woodward said... um... I remember reading an article a couple of days ago, I can't remember which paper it was or whatever, but saying how it's it's so difficult to kind of shift Eddie Jones because is he putting, he's part of the first He's been there for so long. He's, he's sort of the biggest power in the background of the RFU. And they just sort of, even if they wanted to, that that sort of half you know inquiry after the last failure, didn't they, last year? But there's, there's no way to shift him. And that is the worry. He's going to be there for the World Cup. Now, controversial as this may be, of course, I want England to win the Six Nations every year. Of course, I care. But, you know, I really, really care a lot more about the World Cup than I do any Six Nations ever. Like, like you know, I think given the choice, I, I would just not watch Six Nations if, if you had the choice of saying England doing well in the World Cup. I'm just because, you know, it happens every year. It's the World Cup that matters. And to have him potentially going in with leading the team in the World Cup, I mean, c- can you imagine going to the World Cup where we've had a string of 4th, 5th, even 3rd place finishes going to the World Cup only a couple of years, away. you know, what sort of preparation is that, like, how, how can you keep someone in there, you know, with that sort of track record, he yeah, has not a good track record, since, you know, yes, we got the final World Cup, which was, you know, the failure in the end, but, I mean, when's the last time, think about it, when's the last time we actually enjoyed a Six Nations? Probably the Grand Slam all those years ago. I mean, I know there's been yes, I know we won the the curtailed one, didn't we? Or the sorry the postponed one. But I can't remember the last time we actually played well, enjoyed watching England at a, at a Six Nations. Um, and to know just kind of having that going into World And also the other worry is even if they change the personnel, the way they play, you know, it's just just sort of I don't know. It's just so sort of depressing, really. I just with, yeah, well. as long as Jones is still there, I just can't see any improvement and goodness in the World Cup, quite frankly.
0: Well, one thing we know after the weekend is that um, if someone has a Scottish granny, they've made you know about it since then, because they've all come out of the woodwork this weekend. Getting texts from people I didn't know, were even rugby fans, delighted that Scotland had beaten us again, and then it turns out, oh yeah, the granny was born in Motherwell or something. Brilliant, fantastic, I'm glad for that, traitor. Anyway, um, a couple of things I'd like to talk about that begin to annoy me a bit. First one is, how long do advantages last now? And when is an advantage over? There's a few in the Falcons game, I thought, went on a bit. And also in the internationals over the weekend. It seems to be now that if you get a penalty advantage it lasts until you drop the ball. And it can't be like two or three minutes later in certain instances. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, I, I noticed that. I've not switched the Falcons one, um, but I noticed actually in the Scotland game there were a handful of occasions where advantage was played and the team, the attacking team, almost kind of went half of them for the pitch with their advantage until, I don't know, knocked on or something. And then it briefly reported back and I think mean, a couple of times in England that that happened and I was like oh that's pretty good but then of course when I was in Scotland you're like you know what the hell's going on here uh but you're right actually um it's something I did pick up um and you do notice it um just you're right how long advantage some advantages are going nowadays because I'm sure it used to be you know you may get a couple of phases or something and that would be it but now it just seems to go on and on and on and on but uh yeah I don't know if they're the idea is to kind of allow the game to flow more, taking well, from football's book with those with their advantages. But,
0: yeah, well, it's um,
1: definitely
0: change. I consulted old law book, and it doesn't say anything, really. Um, it seems to be that the, the general gist of it is if it's a knock-on, then you kind of play one phase and see if anything happens. And then if, the, if it's a knock-on and the other team retain possession, you just play on. If it's a penalty, it seems to be lasts forever. Unless they run the length of the pitch and score, in which case, fine. But even now, you get play, teams where they, they get a penalty advantage, they go 30 yards up the pitch and then drop it three or four phases later and they take it back. Or you have instances where a team um, has a good attacking base and they kick it to touch, and it's a good touch, and then they bring it back to the penalty. And you just think, this isn't quite right. I'm not sure. And then you've lost two or three minutes worth of playing time off. That may as well have blown a penalty straight away. Because um, there's so many instances where they call advantage and teams on their own 10 meter line. And, unless they run the length of the pitch, they're not going to score a try. So you may well blow a penalty straight away and not bother with it. Um, anyway, that's annoying me a bit. And then the other thing is um, over the last year or two, there seems to be this strange situation in malls where players now end up completely on the wrong side. Like they're bum facing the opposition scrum, air fly half or scrum half, and they're not allowed to go for the ball. And they're just kind of standing there doing nothing. And... It, it seems to me that's down to the interpretation of rules and changing your bind and things within malls. I'm sure in the past, you used to be allowed to more or less swim up the side of them until someone grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and stopped you doing it. You're allowed to put hands over the top and all sorts. You just weren't allowed to come in from the wrong side. And you, you end up with so many malls now that look to all intents and purposes like they've stopped. And then you realize that half the team that are meant to be defending are in redundant positions but can't get out or can't change their bind. And then suddenly they start going. I'm just... It looks a bit odd, and I think there should be something done about it.
1: I'll have to keep a lookout for that. Um, but I, I'm not sure really sort of what you could do with that, really. I mean, is it is it because there's so much advantage to the attacking team, perhaps? And it depends on the, the just the team individually, if they're pretty good at defending them or not. Um, but, I mean, I guess you've got to be really... Referees do go in now more on it, don't they, in terms of when you're defending them all, I think, as well. You really have to be on the right side. So I think what... What you may get happen is that players do try and get on the right side, try and encounter it correctly, but very quickly, you know, because it's just they've been like pulverizing the them or whatever, quickly they, they just kind of lose their position and they end up kind of in this no man's land entangled in opposition bodies, but they can't interact with really, they can't do anything, because I think referees are much hotter on, you know, interfering on the wrong side or interfering illegally in the mall, so you just kind of have sort of body parts, opposition body parts kind of flailing about in, in malls, but they can't, they kind of stoke there and they can't really do anything, and they can't even kind of get out to try and rejoin the mall. Um, so I think, I think that's probably a consequence of referees being a bit more red hot, actually, on the malls and how defenders kind of counter and join them.
0: Yeah, I think uh, if I was to propose a a new law variation i'd say that as long as you join them all from the back you can kind of slither your way around and then it's up to the opposition to stop you stick their arm out grab you by the scruff of the neck or whatever because i I, I appreciate them all as part of a game and i enjoyed doing it my time playing but it does seem that i think the balance is too much in the attacking favor at the minute with them and they last for an inordinate amount of time and they stop and start and the referees say use it use it again and then eventually it falls down or they, they score a try. it seems to be only two ways that it finishes. It never really seems to be that teams can defend that you get teams where they they defend them more well they drive the attackers back three or four yards, and then the attackers suddenly regroup and start them all again and it, I don't know it just getting to annoy me a bit, but there we go.
1: yeah um I, you do actually you do see it more now. I think with players on the wrong side in place defending teams getting penalized more and more, more like I kind of mentioned before, and I think I guess defenders are really worried about that. Um, and the mall is such a potent weapon now. You see it all levels. If you have a really good set, I mean, I know, of course, it's, it's always been the case, but I think nowadays more than ever, for some reason, maybe because some of the, some of the reasons we've mentioned, the mall is a really, po- really, really potent attacking weapon. And it's becoming harder and harder to stop. And, and referees are also red hot, of course, in bringing the mall down as well. I think back in the day, you probably had more leeway to do that. You know maybe he could get away with a few more things, but now maybe we're television match officials as well. And you see more, we see more penalty tries now, I think, in that regard as well. Of course, I mean, Falcons, match the milk one. Um, and I think defenders are just really, really sort of conscious of giveaway away penalties, of course, getting simbined as well. Um, so I think the margins can be so fine. We try and defend it at the moment that better safe than sorry, I guess. But often, be playing it safe means you concede a try,
0: right? So it's, it's not all doom and gloom this week. One thing that, um, we should mention is the homegrown nature of the Falcons squad. Um, I think no one in the premiership is anywhere close to matching us in terms of homegrown talent. And it looks like we've got yet more in the wings waiting to come through.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've always mentioned it as a positive of the club in general is that we do have this raft of homegrown talent coming through. I guess that's kind of manifesting itself in a lot of their recent results. Um, And to be fair, the club, you know, they've talked about this is where we see a lot of our future coming from, both in terms of, you know, the players coming through, but also the development of the club. Um, yeah, it seems to be, well, things are going well. Uh, Under-18s have had three wins in a row. Um, they've beaten, if I read out the scores here, so they uh, won away to sail 26-12, beat Worcester at home 31-10, and... Last weekend, they also beat Yorkshire Academy, which obviously involves Leeds and Rotherham and some of the other clubs and associated colleges in Yorkshire, of course, um, 24-14. So things are going well in the under-18s and, you know, maybe they have a few players they can lend the first team squad. I don't know, but at least at that regard, in all the doom and gloom, at least the future looks a bit bright in that department.
0: Yeah, who's the who's the last person? Would it be Matthew Tate the last time a teenager played for the first team? I'm trying to think who there would have been since then. Uh when did the Chickmaker's debut Radwan must be around the twenties? Um, I wonder
1: well, maybe more about Wilkinson. Wilkinson
0: was after uh no, he, really after he was before Tate. before Tate.
1: Good question. Maybe some listeners uh, might have some answers for that.
0: Yeah, if any if any listeners know of the last time a teenager or a list of the teenagers in the last couple of decades that have made appearances for a debut for the Falcons at senior level. Good to good to hear it. There are players like Adam Dehati who never really made it and played a couple of times, but I think Matthew Tate's probably the one that springs around. Obviously, there's that time we had Tate, Flood, and a few others coming through all at once. Maybe McGWigan when he was the first time round. Hodgson as well, the first time round, might have made the odd appearance. Maybe Mickey Young the first time round made the odd appearance. Well, I think a lot of those were maybe early 20s, not teenage- Anyway, I can, I can mumble on, on all day. I think we need to, to go to the scores on the doors. There's a lot of them this week, so bear with me. Um, let's start with the Six Nations. So Ireland beat Wales 29 points to 7. Scotland beat us 27 points to 16. And then France, after a good start, Italy, France beat them 37 points to 10. So that means the Six Nations table, as it stands, has France in the lead, Wales second, Scotland third, and then the reverse order for the opponents. So at the minute, we're only fourth. If we then go to the Premiership, on Friday night, Gloucester beat London Irish, 24 points to seven. On Saturday, uh, obviously, we lost to Bristol, 37 points to 21. Exeter lost to Wasps at home, 26 points to 27. Leicester beat Worcester, 36-16, and Saracens, Beat Bath 40 points to three. So it looks like Bath, once again, are back to losing, which is quite good, given that we've got them coming up in due course. And then an interesting one on uh, Sunday. Obviously, Harlequins are affected by losing a number of players to England, losing 14 points to 36 at home to sales. So the uh, start of March, we're playing them. And I think that, with fingers crossed, Six Nations will skip them again then as well. If we look at the Premiership table, still in the lead, but getting closer, it's Leicester, followed by the 56 followed by Saracens with 49, Gloucester with 47, Harlequins with 43, Northampton with 40. So it's actually getting quite close to that top four sort of spot. Um, Wasps have 37, Exeter have 36, London Irish with 35, Sale have 34, Bristol have 26, we have 24, Worcester have 21, and Bath only have 14. So um, we're currently 11th. Um, It's annoying because there's there's certainly a couple of games recently where we think, did we have to lose that badly? Could we have got a bonus point? And there's an odd one where we thought, could we have won? And if we had just another winner or a few bonus points under our belt, it would certainly be a lot more rosy than it currently is, let's put it that way. Then the northeast results on Saturday. Darlington beat Blackheath 19 points to 14, or darlington Mountain Park, that is. Um, Tyndale won away at Huddersfield 19 points to 5. Alec lost at home to Otley 22 points to 7. Durham got absolutely thrashed by Driffield and Morpeth beat Malton and Norton. All the games went ahead apart from one, that being Blythe and Derovians and Durham and Othman, Divisions 1, 2 and 3. Um, I think score of the weekend has to go to Hartlepool against Gwynn Leighton. Um, Gwynn Leighton seems to be on the receiving end of a lot of scores of the week at the minute. So I think another shout out has to go to South Shields Westover be beat Novos 76 points to 7. So although another quite miserable episode, there's lots of phrases, you can only polish a you-know-what and all the rest of it. We we work with what we're given, but there are there are some green shoots perhaps, uh, the under-18s and the, the, the halfbacks once again played well. Uh, so fingers crossed something to build on with our two weeks off, and then we'll speak to you again in a fortnight's time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.